Welcome to the Translate Your Doctor podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Figures, joined with my co-host and co-founder, Dr. Trey Sertish. I'm also thinking of this as round two of the the Translate Your Doctor guests and Patrick forced Dr. Sertish to have an opinion about what makes a good (laughs) doctor. Trey, I'm sure everyone was very upset after last episode with forcing them to go out and read medical ethics textbooks and <laughs> break down the uh, all the philosophy around what makes a good physician. So we are going to simplify life for everyone today and start with a very simple question. When you look in the mirror every day at what I hope you define as a thoughtful, good, compassionate physician, what are the things that Trey Sertish, Dr. Trey Sertish, expects from Dr. Trey Sertish and how he treats physicians every day? Sure. It's a good question. With a caveat. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it is complex. It, I will say that is that I don't, I'm not the kind of person who looks at, in the mirror when I get up or think about it when I get up. Perhaps that was at one point. I think that at this point in my practice, I much more think about it as I'm walking into a room to see somebody, if I'm thinking about it at all. And I think the main reason is because I've gotten burned too many times because I've walked into rooms thinking I understood what the patient needed. And sometimes I'm right. I would say majority of the time I'm right. But it's those few instances, those outliers that really burn you when you assume you think you know what somebody needs and you're wrong. And so that's affected my pregame when you go into a patient room to be like, I really don't want to anchor too much on what I think this person's going to need from me. However, I do think about certain traits that I want for all patients, if that better answers your question. When you left your medical education, when you came into healthcare, Mm -hmm. I feel like as young idealists in any profession, there's this quality of thinking, saying, writing in our journal, I'm going to be different than these other people. And you and I are nothing if not hopeless idealists, <laughs> hopeless Gryffindors in our own special way. What were some of those things for you coming out of medical school where, where you felt like I, I can do this better? I can make a difference. We, we started this venture together mm-hmm. under that umbrella. What were those things for you as you thought about patient care? I never wanted to leave a room or an encounter with a patient. And this is also a colleague, learner, friend, whatever it is, them having not been heard. I I think that something I'm trying to come to grips with increasingly with experience, but also communicate to generations behind me of learners is that we generally aren't going to have the perfect solution for patients because a lot of what landed them in the hospital, say specifically with my practice or brought them to your clinic or whatever the healthcare scenario is, we're already not in a perfect world. This person's been sick, they have a problem and so on. And so you're already dealing in imperfection and the emotions that come with that. And I think that accepting that is important for every doctor, just accepting that we're already in a tough spot and giving yourself permission to be like, I might not have an answer for this patient's problem. I might not have a solution. I hope that I do. I hope that my training and my experience and my, you know, relationships with other physicians and nurses and healthcare providers allows me to find this patient a solution, but I shouldn't 
I shouldn't demand my satisfaction from that. Instead, I should demand my satisfaction, my quality from, have I heard what the patient needs and wants? Because sometimes patients aren't looking for solutions per se. Say more about that. What do you mean? I think that many patients, when you tell them a life altering diagnosis, diabetes, heart attack, cancer, many cancers, I should say, say metastatic cancer, we'll say metastatic or spread cancer, stuff that can't be cured. I think many patients understand that. And frankly, not all the time, but will accept it before the doctor does. And they're not necessarily coming to the physician for a cure. That's perhaps what I'm more specifically when I say answer, like a cure to make it go away, to make it a lot are, but not everyone. And just I'm talking about with this pre-gaming, when you walk into a patient room and you want to be thinking about how best I can do that. And then you're surprised when sometimes you're wrong because you assumed incorrectly. I think that assuming that every patient wants a cure will lead you, will set you up for failure. And just so the audience is clear, is there some sort of animal cruelty there's happening there's in a cat. There's the a cat. background? <laughs> yeah, my wife and I got a cat and it is, it is ramped up right now. <laughs> it doesn't enjoy being locked out of the podcasting no. space. No, for the 20 minutes that we're taking for ourselves. <laughs> to circle back in, because I, I think this is just such a wonderful place to talk about, you discuss this break-fix quality that... I see a lot in physicians and in my background in hospital administration, I saw as a challenge whenever physicians would be challenged to leave this break-fix mode and to wade into these murkier healthcare ethics uh, waters is a large part of the training. I'm not trying to lead the witness. I'm generally curious. Is healthcare and medical training mainly framed in, in break-fix, this linear, your job as the physician, as a hammer, find those nails, find those problems, and just get fix those specific problems. Is that the framework of a lot of training? I think not explicitly. Honestly, I think that the explicit curriculum is embracing that, is there are many you got to remember that most people who involve themselves in medical education are very idealistic, are very are folks who want to improve the system. And so many of those people understand what we're talking about, which is you got to deal in the murky, you got to deal in the complicated and the nuanced and the stuff that's not necessarily this break fix cycle. And so you're I think you're getting a lot of explicit instruction in medical school about that. Many people are naturally being come to the conclusion of fix break system, meaning that that system feels really good because it's easy to deal with that. It's much more black and white. And I think that is what makes a lot of doctors fall into that is because you just naturally fall into it. It's like, if I, if this person has a broken bone, I can fix that broken bone. That feels really good. And that is necessary. That is a super necessary part of the healthcare system. But again, that naturally comes to people. What doesn't naturally come to people is embracing this murkiness and being like, but this person doesn't just want their, their leg broken. They want to understand why they jumped off the bridge to maybe end their own life or speak to a pain that they're feeling that they can't communicate. And yeah, they have a broken leg, but maybe what you should be getting to is why did they put themselves into that situation? Why were they driving drunk? Why were they drinking to excess and then got into a car accident and suffered a broken leg? So if I'm hearing you correctly, part of how you've challenged yourself as a physician is to stretch beyond what's, what some might see as this foundational level of physician training, which is the, 
this break fix quality. I'm certainly oversimplifying and extending into these more these murkier levels of a physician as coach, physician as therapist, physician as as listener, guide, these other embodiments of the physician, that is something that you're challenging yourself to do. Am I understanding that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Not to presume that I can be counselor and therapist and shaman and priest and all these things that I think increasingly our society is devoid of, not to make political statements or religious ones, but I think that truly when I speak with people and when I pay attention to what folks are craving, it's this guidance. And that com- hmm. that applies to all, I think, straight times of life. But it's when you get ill or when a loved one gets ill, it just draws a lot of people into hyper-emotional situations naturally. Mm-hmm. And so I think that those voids become more evident. And physicians suddenly have to fill a lot of those responsibilities. You have to realize, going back to the, say, the broken bone analogy, you know, that you're coming in, you're like, I just need to fix your leg. And the patient is really, you know, advertising very explicitly to them. Yeah, I understand that. But can we talk about why I like did the behavior that led to this thing? And the physicians, I'm not, that's not my, that's not what my intention was when I came into this room to speak with you. And, And I'll stretch that as well, that this break fix quality to medical training works particularly well, probably in an emergency room. It, it doesn't, I, my perception is it doesn't work as well in a psychiatric chair. It doesn't work as well with chronic disease. And you and I, by nature, have started Translate Your Doctor to target patients with chronic diseases because you and I perceived there to be this gap in that the exam room, the, the break-fix nature of what I would define as the traditional healthcare system, the old guard of healthcare medical system does not serve patients with chronic conditions because of the longitudinal nature of their illness. Sure. I hear what you're saying. You ask for opinions. You're going to get one from me, which is I don't agree personally nor professionally with the notion that it is setting dependent. In fact, I think that line of thinking, which is not just yours, it is, I think, institutional, that there are certain specialties within medicine that get jail out of jail free card because they of the one that they chose to not have to accept these this murkiness that they are better equipped to live in and practice in the fixed break cycle or environment i should say and i think that's dangerous because then it, it leads to punting a term that you use a lot which is are you punting this decision to somebody else And there are situations that demand that. I understand that. I'm not looking for my orthopedic surgeon, strictly speaking, who's replacing my need to get into the weeds about my marriage at that time. There's a time and a place. And I think that's something we're gonna talk about in future episodes when we're advising patients. There's a time and a place. Like understand the context for which you're talking with your doctor and don't demand something that the setting doesn't facilitate or else you're gonna be frustrated because your doctor's not gonna meet you there but you wouldn't celebrate Christmas on Easter. And and I think it's an important point. That being said, I push back hard when I say it's an emergency room, a lot of things going around. I'm like, I don't really necessarily believe that. I think it's still important to keep all this murkiness and nuance in mind. And that is why those jobs should be seen as more difficult because you have to work 
adeptly in both environments. Yeah, I think that's well said. And I want to be very explicit about this. Mm -hmm. We started this discussion with a question of what standard do you hold yourself to and where does that come mm -hmm. from? And you have a perspective and your perspective is that you, Trey Sertish, Dr. Trey Sertish, are a better physician when you are you when you extend yourself past what you might call a traditional mindset of I'm just here to fix your problem I'm just here to mend your leg mm -hmm. good luck after that mm -hmm. now in our first episode you and I discussed the fact that if what healthcare is supposed to do is facilitate this relationship between physician and patient obviously that's complicated by the fact that the which physician there are so many physicians mm -hmm. that you see especially if you have a chronic illness mm -hmm. and you have a lot of people involved in your care team certainly that's one problem that we are mm -hmm. we are going to jump into and mm -hmm. you're not holding that standard to every physician that ever existed which is you're not being a, a good physician right. if you're not stretching yourself that's absolutely not what we're trying to say though i would say this as they think about themselves as a patient i think it's an interesting question mm -hmm. to hold this interaction you're having with a physician th through this filter or to look at this interaction through the filter of how much is this physician trying to look at me as something other than a problem on a chart because as as much as certainly you want to mm -hmm. sidestep any universal standard for your all your peers out there in the world you and i have set a mission mm -hmm. for this company for mm -hmm. this venture mm -hmm. as people not problems that mm -hmm. there is a whole person mm -hmm. behind the chief complaint that mm -hmm. comes into the medical clinic that comes into the psychiatric office that comes to into wherever the patient happens to present themselves and you mm -hmm. and i feel like we are making translate your doctor better mm -hmm. by taking a half step back and asking these holistic whole person mm -hmm. questions around what does this person need yeah, I'm glad that you brought up people, not problems, because I think that is a much more succinct way of, of speaking to how I view my practice. And it, it is somewhat like the back of a Hallmark card, because I think it's one of those things that you listen to and you're like, that sounds catchy. And then you think about it, you're like, yeah, but what does it mean? Like, how do I like incorporate that in my practice? But I think it speaks really much so to what we're discussing, which is seeing a person, not just as the one or some of their problems, but just as the things that go into that created that problem and yeah. sometimes through no fault of their own which is important context and sometimes because of their behavior which is also important context like both are really valuable and this isn't just to benefit the patients and understanding the system again although that's the primary focus this is to benefit the, that gap between doctor and patient and you can move the patient closer but it would be ideal to move both closer and you create a synergistic kind of relationship and so introducing patients and people to how to reframe their understanding of how doctors see them can hopefully give them the tools to demand a better relationship and that will make doctors feel better most doctors anyways well, you know? why is that so it, it help help so because yeah. uh, what i'm assuming based on that statement right. is that to some extent the, the I'm trying to be careful by not saying the default mindset. Every hmm. as you uh, heard in episode two, every physician <laughs> is really a unique snowflake, and no, they're but, all so but, different. No, but I think it, it, really, but, but let me get to this point. The, is that is that to some extent, physicians are working against themselves mm -hmm. by not facilitating a different kind of interaction. I'd, I'd love for you to explore that more. Yeah. Yeah, I think that this is a place where we can generalize. I feel that most people who went into medicine did so to help others. It's 
I, I, I always push back on the folks who say, oh, you did it for the money and the, the credibility and stuff. There are many easier ways to make good money in this world. It's too difficult, not just the material, but the things that are asked of you to be a physician. It just is. That's not enough of a motivator. And so I do inherently believe, and I don't think it's naive to assume that most people who pursued medicine did so to help others. And so the reason why I say that, that would they like this? Would physicians like this kind of reframing and having patients expand their understanding about what they need, whether it is fixing a break or whether it is dealing in the murkiness? Because I, I think that physicians are then going to feel that sense of, I help this person. You can palpably feel that when you help somebody. When you walk into a room and you just feel whether they're anxious or scared or angry, which is just a manifestation of fear or whatever, they feel apathetic and you're that's even unnerving. And you walk into that room and if they feel that way and you walk out and they feel a different way and you can just perceive that it's better that is gratifying. It is so gratifying. You ask almost every other physician, no matter what they do, that feels really good. Just as much, I think, in other circumstances of saying like, I got the diagnosis, or I performed the surgery really beautifully, or I read that chest x-ray perfectly, like exactly how I wanted to. I think that besides those academic side, making people feel better is the key, is how, is like how you feel um, like you've done a good job. And again, getting back to what we were starting with is that if you come in with to the patient room assuming that they want you to fix a break only and that's not what they want and then you feel upset because you were there to fix their break and that's not what they wanted, whose fault is that? It's your fault as physician to not draw out of that person what they need. And some people can't tell you, I get that. We're not mind readers either, but I think that most patients understand what they want and their demands are not much yeah. truly i think that's interesting I, I i come back to the phrase and i i need to i'll look it up and put it in the notes physician heal thyself mm -hmm. this quality of cycles and virtuous cycles versus non-virtuous cycles unproductive cycles and i think by facilitating a better interaction with uh, the patient there's this virtuous cycle that can be created which is it's stimulating this purposeful response, that feeling that everyone can relate to of, I did a good day's work. I made the world better today. Mm -hmm. And that as a thing that can then put you in the headspace and the emotional space to show up to work tomorrow and bring that same wonderful energy and get that mm -hmm. same great feedback from your patients and on and on and on versus not being able to be present in the room with the patient mm -hmm. and getting a great interaction and that being a, a demotivator, something that's frustrating mm -hmm. and something that's easy to take a dynamic and to cast blame. It's the physician's fault. It's the patient's fault. It's the system's fault. Mm -hmm. And that's a really reductive and unproductive way to, to think about those interactions. So I, I like that as a productive challenge for the patient to, again, translate their physician and try to show up in, the, in a way mm -hmm. that gets the best out of that interaction. But the mm -hmm. physician really is the leader in that room. And I, yes. I also respect and appreciate this quality of the physician starting things off on the best foot to try to, to pull more out of that interaction than just, I'm here to fix your problem. Right. Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. Which I'm, we're going to talk about in future episodes and in the Translation Doctor curriculum, which is sometimes you need to do that. Sometimes, like you say, there is a power dynamic we're not going to be able to get around, nor should we, because I think that a lot of the patient empowerment movement now, this might be controversial, 
that focuses so much on patient autonomy. Remember, we reintroduced ethical frameworks last episode, and there's this balance. You got to pick from all of the frameworks and not one, one framework is not going to solve all problems and be a tool that can just handle all situations. You have to work in all of them. And that complexity is what led to the chaos that you phrase it in the second episode. But allowing the patient to make all the decisions and have all the power, that's not the, that's not the way the relationship should work based on just like the understanding of who is ill and who is trying to help. However, understanding that dynamic it, and, and trying to level the playing field is important. And that's what we're trying to give to patients. Like, how can you try and get to combat that hierarchy? But while also understanding that some physicians are going to just want the facts you know, and that's okay. Sometimes if you recognize that and I just need to give the facts to my doctor and I'm going to get really effective care. Great. All right. Perfect. You've solved that. If that's what you want, if you want something more than that, if you want, again, a, a deep, meaningful relationship with your physician, not every patient does, then you've got to use these other tools to do so. So I'm curious then, do you see this mindset as something that you're is there a movement, an underground movement of physicians that you feel like are leaning more in this direction? And to be fair, maybe these physicians have all, all, always been out there. I'm sure we'll get comments from people saying, I've seen my doctor for 27 years. And the reason that we have such a good you know, relationship is that they've he's been my partner. She's been my partner for this long. Mm -hmm. Do you see that this um, mindset that you have is, is becoming more prominent? Or is there any evidence of that? Is that just our bias at play? How, how do you feel about that? I don't know. I don't know. Because, and, and the reason why I'm somewhat silent is because I feel that bias that you're describing. I think that it's natural for generations that are coming up to feel as though they have the solutions and to feel as though they're doing a better job. And largely speaking, when you look at historically, we are doing better job generation to generation. We improve technologically, we improve knowledge-wise, we improve social harmony-wise, although it doesn't feel that way at times. Over the long eye of history, we're improving generation to generation. However, the, that does lead to this bias of feel like I can do this better than anyone else before me. And I think that's unfair. So I do feel I'm, that's why it makes me a little bit hesitant, just like you've articulated. I see people that I admire amongst many generations of physicians on a daily basis, not only within my practice, but also in the other physicians I encounter in the hospital and out who not only have these traits, but do them better than I. And that impresses me. I think that the one generation thing I can speak to, which we've already spoken about, which is that we as a physician group have moved away increasingly from paternalism, which is telling sort of determining the role, or excuse me, the exactly what you're going to do for a patient. And it's going to be purely the decision of the physician on behalf of the patient. And we're moving much more towards a patient autonomy, which is framework, which is again, having the patient participate in a two way street kind of model. If you think about paternalism as a one way street, patient autonomy is a two way street. But I think that the differences I'm seeing in practice models is how much traffic moves one way versus the other way. And for some people, it's far more that the patient determines. For others, it's more leaning towards the paternalistic side. And it's hard for me to assume if that's generational or not. Certainly what we're teaching in medical school is to embrace patient autonomy, is to 
form a connection with your patient to establish or rather embrace the murkiness and the complexity of human relationships. And that's in all branches of medicine. That's what we're teaching. But is that what's coming out on the other side? I, I don't know if that's substantially changed now versus 15 years ago versus 20 years ago versus 40 years ago. I assume that it is, but that would be an assumption. That's wonderful. Troy, I think that's as, as good a place as any for us to wrap for this week, this episode. I want to remind our listeners that to find out more about what we're trying to do with Translate Your Doctor, please visit us at www.translateyourdoctor.com. Sign up for our mailing list. You will get the foundational Translate Your Doctor lecture from Dr. Sertish, which talks about living with a life-altering illness and some of the key things that you can do as someone that's trying to elevate your care, the care that you're giving yourself to some extent, but also the care that you can receive from your care team just by answering for yourself three very simple questions. It's a wonderful lecture. Try to put a ton of work into it. Also, please like and subscribe. This podcast is available via video on YouTube and available via every major podcast platform that we could find and subscribe ourselves to. Thank you so much, and we'll catch you next week. Thank you all.